We're in Ephesians chapter 3 this morning, and we're going to finish off the chapter, which is exciting to me because it is the front side of Ephesians. As I've always been saying through this series, if you look at the front side of Ephesians, you're going to see that we're going to talk about God's grace. We're going to talk about how awesome God is. We're going to talk about how God has these certain characteristics that are going to set up for his holiness, his glory, and all these things. God's awesome, and then we are in need of that awesomeness, right? I'm sure that's a word. The most awesomerest of all is God. It's like a quintuple positive. I'm working on it. All right. So, but it, it is the best we can say. Why, why would I say something like that, something so positive like that? Because I, I say that because if you ever read the Hebrew, and if you see the same word repeated twice in the Hebrew, it's not just like something emphasized because they don't put adjectives in front of their words very often. But when they do a double adjective in front of it, like if you were to say somebody was holy, you'd be like, wow, that guy's holy. That's pretty amazing. Um, that would be like earthly holy. Holy, holy is kind of like, wow, that's like, you know, prophet holy guy. But if you ever say something was holy, 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 it's exponential. So it's not just adding another whatever to it, but it's adding like 10 times, now we're talking 100 times, or 100 times, now we're talking 1,000 times. God is so holy that he's the only thing in the Bible that's described as holy, holy, holy in the Hebrew because God is set apart as holy, okay? And it is his desire to come back to us. I was listening to William Lane Craig this morning on a reel, and it was actually last night right before I fell asleep. He was talking about if God is a, a loving God, then why is there sin? Why did he allow sin to happen into his creation? And, and it was really, and then why, would, why should we worship him was the question. Because if you look at sin, or we look at creation from our standpoint, why would God create a broken world? But if you look at it from God's point of view, it's because he desired to have relationship with us. He desired to have a um, companionship that wasn't just freely programmed into us like a robot, right? He wanted to have people that come alongside and he could have relationship with. And so even that step of creation is an act of grace to allow us to come into existence to worship him is pretty amazing. Uh, the fact that we can choose not to do that is just mind-blowing to me as that goes along. So God calls us from his mystery to be unified as believers to serve like Jesus did to become full and complete. And you could add in him, right? If you've ever tried to become full and complete by somebody else, if you've ever tried to become full and complete by your own merit, your own works, your own goodness, it always falls short because God has designed us to become full and complete in him. So even on your bulletin, you want to write in him after that? Hey, let's make that period disappear. That's what the I is all about, right? So we have that this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 through 13, it says, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom. In all what? Anytime you see a this there, you see a therefore there, you want to go back and see what this was, right? This would be the unified believers, unified Gentiles and Jewish people, right? We don't have 
something amazing happen without Christ in that because it just hadn't happened up to this point, but now it is happening. So God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety and all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please do not lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. Paul, when he wrote this letter, was put in prison for the gospel. He was sharing the gospel and got put in prison quite often. He has a a nice grocery list of things he's suffered for the Lord in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I do believe. And it is pretty amazing what he's gone through, um, but it's also that God has delivered him from those things is also just as amazing, isn't it? So we need to serve like Jesus. We need to serve like Jesus. He sets that example for us. Paul sees that example. He wants to follow that example just like Jesus does. And he is striving for that. And as I see the gospel message that he has put out in front of us, as I see and I look back at the church in Ephesus and I see Jews and Gentiles coming together, that means that I can put aside some of my differences for Christ and be like Christ and be unified as believers. If you think about it, look at Jesus' disciples. He had tax collectors in his 12. He had a zealot in his 12. Do you know that a zealot hates tax collectors because they hate the Roman establishment? They would actually set up to kill them, right? And um, as you look at these things, Jesus brings all kinds into his 12. And the one that betrayed him, the one that set the, the bar, maybe the lowest, I guess, The one that he knew that was going to betray him was Judas, right? And where does Judas come from, do you think? If you think of Judas, it would probably come from the house of Judah, which he does. And that's the one that should know him as Messiah the best. And he's the one that betrays him. That's interesting, isn't it? Jesus knows that, and he chooses him anyway. Treats him just like he would anyone else because he does that all the time for all creation. Wow. So I look at this and I want to serve like Jesus. I think of, again, another VBS song. Maybe that's what you get when you have me lead VBS worship for how many years. You get all the good songs coming back to here. Um, It goes like this. Let your light shine so that others can see the good that you do so they will praise our Father in heaven. Right? Where are we getting that from? We're getting that from Matthew 5.16. It says, In the same way, let your good deeds shine for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. When does he say that? It's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, right? He has just said the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are the process of salvation. If you look at the Beatitudes, it is walking you through the process of salvation and sanctification. Okay, salvation is that we accept Christ into our hearts. Sanctification is, means that we're going to walk as Jesus walked, okay? And then he says to let your light shine. He says, salt, um, be the salt of the world. He says, be the light of the world. And then he concludes it with this. Let your good deeds shine 
so that all can see. So when do we allow our good deeds to shine? Is it before we've entered into salvation? No, it's after. It's the last step, actually, of the process of it, okay? And so we need to walk through salvation. We need to walk, be walking in sanctification. We need to be something different than the world has to offer. And the fact that we're bringing flavor to our workplace, we're bringing flavor to our family. That's what the salt of the earth is. And so that they can see what Jesus has for us, which is the light of the world, hide it under a bushel. Oh man, you guys are asleep. Oh man. Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine, right? You're like, you were droning on there, Shane, and I was lulling me to sleep. Okay, so I will start burying my voice like this, and then I'll talk up here so I can keep you awake this morning. We'll see. It's a challenge. I'll take it. I'm ready. So Paul set the example for the church in Ephesus in service, all the way up to the beginning, being in prison for the gospel, and we know that Paul winds up there because of his bold confidence in God's presence. Where does he first see that bold presence of God? On the way to Damascus, right? He is there to persecute the church. And what's he? God comes in and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why do you beat amongst the goads is one of the testimonies he says. What's that mean? Why do you uh, fight the battle that you can never win? Right? Think about that for a minute. You have this guy that's so zealous for the Lord that is persecuting the church, and Jesus Christ steps in and says, why are you trying to fight a battle that you know you can't win? I don't know if you didn't know he could win, but you can't win. He just told him flat out. He says, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus Christ who you're persecuting. And from that day forward, Paul stopped persecuting the church and became part of the church that he persecuted. Wow, what a powerful testimony. So... You may say, well, pastor, this world is broken, and, and how can we have this confidence that comes with the gospel story? So when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to God working in our lives, we know that the Lord is working for us and is good. And we see we need to walk boldly toward the Lord with the confidence that we have the answer favorably in Christ Jesus. And again, I ask, you may ask, you know, this world is broken. How can you see God working in this world? It's so broken. There's so much sin. How can you say our God is good with all this sin in the world and all this brokenness? Where is our God working? I don't see him. Um, you say God is in control. There's so much bad. There's so much evil. I thought you said God was holy. He didn't want badness. He didn't want evil. He didn't want sin. And yet we see that so much in this world. And I heard an illustration. I modified it this morning. For all the bakers that we have in this church, we have many here that like to make pie or whatnot. And yes, yes, Miss Sandy's there. Yes, we got many, many around, right? And you could say this with anything that you like to create. Perhaps you like to sew. Maybe you like to do something. And, so, and you take your creation to the Spoon River Drive. And you're like, this is great. And, you know, with these masterful pastries, which, you know, it is Pastor Appreciation Month, month week, wink. <laughs> but all joking aside, all joking aside, there, you make this beautiful pie, 
and it smells delicious. It's got a golden crust on top of it, and it is worth all the money that you're asking for it. And it's just, just amazing. And this guy comes up to you, and he offers you five times what you put on there. He offers you $100 for this pie, and you're just like, well, yeah, I'll take that. You know, I, I thought it was worth 100 but I put it at 20 because it's my first year at the thing. Whatever. And he takes this pie, and you're like, oh, yeah, I'll just trade the money for the pie. That's great. So as you see him, he takes about 10 steps away from the booth. He's lighting his cigar as it goes. And he proceeds to turn and look right at you, and he, and he takes that pie, and he starts using it as an ashtray. And you're like, well, it's your pie. Uh, you just paid $100 for it, so that's all right. But not only that, but he drops the pie on the ground, and it falls down, destroys that beautiful crust, and not only that, it's soggy because it landed in a mud puddle. And it's just, everything's ruined about that pie. So he does all this, looking you straight in the eye, and he comes back, and as he's proceeding back in those 10 steps, back to your booth, he is demanding his money back because you have ruined that pie. This is your pie? I can't believe you would try to sell something like this here. This is unbelievable. He begins speaking loud slander about your, ply, your pies, blaming you for its quality. Is that right? No, that's a, we, have, we would have a sense of injustice there. Like, this is, what are you talking about, dude? This, you did that to the pie. That, why would I even sell something like that? How is that going to help promote my business? How am I going to, to get along here, if I sold pies like that, that's ridiculous. I would never sell that pie. You walk 10 steps away. I can see your ash from your cigar in there. And he's like, well, why would you even? I have that pie uncovered. This is ridiculous. Of course I got in there when I lit my cigar. So the question for you this morning is, who destroyed the pie and its reputation? Who was at fault for this destruction? Was it the pie creator? Was it one of the, us that made that pie? Or was it the slandering customer? Right? All of the slander, all of the destruction, all the brokenness that we see in the world today has nothing to do with the pie maker or the creator. It has everything to do with man's sin and the one that slanders the creator's name. Amen? It's a pretty good illustration, I thought. Many times we are dealing with our own sin, but not always. Sometimes we're dealing with our friend and how they're getting along with their lifestyle, right? And we're quick to blame the creator for the bad that's happened to the pie that we destroyed. We're quick to say, well, if you wouldn't have put this in there, if you wouldn't have made it so delicious, I wouldn't have never bought it, and it would have been fine in the first place. See how we got all the way back to where you, shouldn't, you should have never sold it to me. I look like a bad character. 
I can't believe you even invited me to, toward this. You know, it, really, it's my mom's fault because she's the one that made me come to the Spoon River Drive to take this. And see how we can pass that blame so fast. Well, I wouldn't have dropped into the mud puddle if the circumstances were different. There was that big hole. Well, if you weren't glaring at the creator, you would have saw the hole. <laughs> right? But we do that so often. We do that so often. We don't want it to be our fault. We don't want to take responsibility for our actions. We don't want to do that. So what do we do? We pass the buck. We pass the blame. And we say it's somebody else's fault. And we don't want to take responsibility for our own sin. And you sound like you know what you're talking about, Pastor. Well, I do because I do the same thing. Anybody, anybody in the youth group that's ever grown up in my youth group, what do I say when I lose? Well, you cheated. You cheated. Well, that was obvious they didn't cheat. They beat me fair and square and stomped me while in the process of doing that. But I always say they cheated because I don't want to take responsibility for losing. Do I? It's not fair to them. It's not fair to me. I usually say it in jest, but not always. Now I say it in jest, but 20 years ago, I definitely didn't say it in jest. You cheated. Right? So... I see that same person going to the creator and say, well, you set up the rules wrong. If you, you made the rules easier, I could have won the game. If you allowed me to do this, no. And we're quick to blame the creator rather than the sin instigator. Life would be so much easier, so much better if God didn't do this to me all the while. And in reality, it is us who are destroying what God created due to our sin. It says in Isaiah 53, 6, it says, All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. What a powerful passage of Scripture. If you ever go back and read Isaiah 53, it's about how Jesus died on the cross for our sins, written, what, 600 years before Christ died on the cross? It's pretty amazing. Alistair Begg, who I've been listening to to help prep some of these sermons, he's got a saying, and I really liked it, and it fit really well here. He says he's got a saying, good, bad, and new. Good, bad, and new. We have a good... We had a good and perfect world, right? Made bad by sin through us, made new in Christ Jesus. That's the 22nd testimony, my friend. We are bad. We are a creation. We are part of this creation. We walk away from sin, and Christ Jesus steps in. And he says, I'm going to make all things new. He promises to wipe that white as snow. And he makes us, gives us a new heart, a new mind, and a new lifestyle. Right? When we surrender to him, then that lifestyle can be changed. Well, here's another thing that gets me on this. I've heard it said many times that you know, I really love your Jesus. I really love the moral code that you can get from church. If you go send your kids to church, they will learn the process of a good morals, and then that will help society. Is that true? Yes, it is. 
okay? Or I, I love the activities that you have for the youth group for my kids. It keeps them busy. It helps them build relationships. In an age of digital sense, it is good for them to have something that is tangible, that we can hang on to, and allow them to have some good and sometimes bad relationships where they can learn how to mend those things here in a controlled environment. Okay, Those are all good things. Or maybe it's the activities of the food pantry. You think about during COVID, that was one of the activities that we were able to keep going through. It helped us with the fellowship. I know it helped me. Or we come to church on Sunday morning and we learn about the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and how amazing he is and how he has saved us and how I can be more like him if I just put it into practice. The problem with all those things is when we use those first, we're trying to heal the wound from the outside in. We're trying to change our moral character to reflect to change our heart. We're trying to use these activities and our social community to change our mind and our heart. And we're trying to use this knowledge of Jesus Christ to change our mind so our lifestyle can change. And that simply cannot happen without the power of Jesus Christ in your heart first. Amen? Whew. You guys, I'm going to have to start dancing up here. Right? So... The only change that is lasting is when we invite Christ to come into our heart and change us from the inside out. We're going to have baptisms in a few weeks here, right? That Does baptism save you? Does that get you to heaven? Is that a ticket to get you to heaven? No, it's not. Do we like you to be baptized after you've been saved? Absolutely, we do. So if you've never been if you've asked Jesus into your heart, but you've never been baptized, that's the next step, okay? That's the next step that you need to take. But it doesn't, it's not required to get to heaven. But what it is, it's an outward profession of an inward change, okay? I've changed my heart to reflect like Jesus, and I want the world to know. And I'm going to do that by going under the water... That's the symbolism. We're going to take our old self, wash it away, and we're going to come up a new creation. Okay? That's what it's all about. That's about an act of repentance and showing the world that I have changed. Okay? So the gospel is not about what we are to do. It is about what God has done through Christ Jesus. Okay? It's not about what we are to do. Otherwise, we all could go get baptized. We could go through, um, what is that? Catechism classes. We get to the end of the catechism classes. We get baptized. We join the church. Now we're going to heaven. If it were that easy, everybody would go to heaven. Right? But God says broad is the road that leads to destruction. And narrow is the way to eternal life. I've chosen the narrow road, and as Robert Frost says, I've chosen the road less traveled by, and it's made all the difference. 
So yes, there is pain. Yes, there is brokenness. Yes, there is death and destruction. But when the king comes, when Jesus Christ comes back, are you going to know about it? Yeah, everybody's going to know about it. It is going to be quite the spectacle. He promises us that. And when he comes back, he will resolve it all. When the king comes Come, Satan and his forces will be cast into the lake of fire. When the king comes, all those who have rebelled against him have turned from his ways. They refuse to follow him. They will suffer the punishment. And I'm going to add one more. Those who do not surrender in your heart to Christ Jesus will suffer that punishment as well. Okay? Because he has showed us from the beginning of time that the best way to live life is with Christ in our heart, okay? Then the creator will make a new heaven and he'll make a new earth, which we will be able to dwell in righteousness with Christ Jesus. Man cannot create this hope from himself. We just can't possibly do it. The only hope that we have is in Christ Jesus to make all things new. I don't know if it's in the Bible there, but it's in the it's in the movie The Passion of the Christ when he turns to his mom and he says, "See mom, I make all things new." And I thought that was a good line. I don't think that's in scripture, but I think it I know it's in the movie. And it was just something to encourage her along the way, and it encourages me every time I, I see that. So here we are. We're facing the daily grind, right? We are going to school. We're going to our jobs. We are seeing the news. We are in the grind. We're trying to do what's right. We're trying to keep the faith. We're trying to do what is just and what is pure. But when the king comes he will judge us by the convictions of our hearts, not by what we do. And as we walk in faith, and then we will do the good works because of his grace that he's poured out that we read about in Ephesians chapter 2, right? If you don't get with Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, you can't get with any of the Bible, okay? That it's a gift freely given by him that we have to accept or else you're not getting to heaven, right? And then I would even say, then you have to act on your faith for it to see because you can read that in James. If you have that grace, but you don't act on it, then you really don't have faith in the first place. And that's convicting because God calls us from his mystery to be united as believers, to serve like Jesus did, to become full and complete. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. You might want to grab your Bibles because I see you're using them as pillows and you might want to wake up a bit this morning. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down in God's love and keep you strong. And, and, 
And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to be understood fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power, work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we could ask or think, Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Whoa. Become full and complete. When I think of all of this, if you got your Bible open, look at verse 1. And look at verse 14. They both start with the same thing. When I think of all of this, it's like he got interrupted with his own thoughts and he got so excited. Oh, you got to write this down. But then when he comes back to the conclusion, he's like, when I think of all of this, it's pretty amazing. He's overwhelmed by the unity of, of the body of Christ and he's overwhelmed by God's grace. Those are the two sections. So if you look at verse 1, what's previous to all this, it's about God's grace and unity as in believers and how awesome God is. The second one is about the unity of the Jews and the Gentiles. Pretty amazing. Through God's grace, with this unifying factor of Christ Jesus' death on the cross, bringing together all who believe in his name, Paul encourages the believers to grow in their faith to reach down into God's love and to keep growing strong, okay? If you walk down into the gathering place, before you get there, you turn the corner from the back stairs over there and you see the tree on the wall. This was the verse for that tree, right? Growing in Christ, reaching down deep into his love. Um, it's one of those references we, we looked at for that. Um, which is coincidentally going to get changed before too long here soon. So, um, where I lost my place. Deep roots so that you can bear fruit in Jesus' name. If you have no roots, can you bear fruit? If you have no roots, can you bear fruit? If you go out to a corn plant and you chop its roots um, one foot below soil, is it going to get much corn on that. If you take soybeans and go down three inches below the soil and you cut that taproot, is it going to grow much soil? If you take a pine tree and you cut that center taproot out of it, is it going to stay standing for very long? The answer is no to all those things. You will not bear fruit if you don't grow down deep. How do we as Christ followers grow down deep? By God's word. Where do I start? I start in the Gospels. There's no fancy application here. There's no gift bag in the back, folks. I'm sorry, it's just you and Jesus and the Bible every morning. And when you take that challenge and you accept it to heart to come to know Jesus in a personal way, you will come and find him in a person. In a way, because he says, if you seek me, you'll find me 
when you seek me with all of your heart. All of it. Not part, not halfway. That's how we like to do things today. I'm going to listen to my Bible and I'm going to do three different other tasks this morning, right? Well, that's a good thing to do, but you should also meditate on something that you listen to or read as well. That's where the river meets the road, okay? Asking him to change your outlook so that we can see his master plan. In all reality, he is the pie maker. We are the guy who's destroyed it in our sin. We look around the world, we see that what's going around, what's going on, in Ukraine and in Russia, and we see what's going on with Israel and Hamas, and we see all the tragedy, the war and the famine all around us today, and we wonder, how can this be with a, such an amazing God? How could this go on? How can I go on? But we know that God, the creator of the universe, has a plan for all eternity, and we are going to be all right in the end. Right? Is any of this surprise God. Any of the wars, the famines, the, the earthquakes that go on? No. Remember last time Craig preached? He preached about that in Matthew 24. All these things are signs that is going to come on, right? All these things are going to come to these things, and we have to be ready. Well, how do you know? How do you know, pastor? That's a good question. How can you know it with such confidence, though? That's another good question. I know because God has told his people in the Old Testament over and over that they would be preserved, that they would be able to persevere, that they would, should carry on because he's going to watch over them, and they would be all right. And guess what? They were all right. They were all right. God always leaves a remnant to pass on his word unless it gets to the end. And then he's taken us all, right? Right? So we know all this tragedy, all this violence, all this destruction. It comes from the adversary of the devil. He is doing whatever he can to thwart the master plan of God. It doesn't matter how hard the devil battles. It doesn't matter how hard he persecutes the church. It doesn't matter how discouraged we might get because, you know, there used to be more people in pews on Sunday mornings. There used to be more people here. And when everybody used to go to church, and that can be discouraging, can't it? Because that may not be the case today. Because if it is time for God to come back, we're going to go up with him if we have a relationship with him. If it's not time for God to come back, he can choose to send revival. He can choose to send his spirit down here to wake us up, however he may choose. And if that is what he is going to do, then we will pray on those lines, right? Along those lines. God can send he has sent it revival in the past. He can send it again in his will. In the meantime, we must prepare our hearts to receive the grace that is poured out on us. We must set the example for those who believe and those who do not. 
encouraging one another, spurring one another on for the gospel, that we might pour it out on others who might tell others about Jesus Christ. This is a disciple maker's lifestyle. That's why we pray that prayer every single sermon that we get done with. And you're like, I wondered. Well, now you know, right? It's a lifestyle, right? A changed mind looks like this. Man, I, I really shouldn't be doing this. I know this is wrong. Well, where'd that come from? I never used to think it was wrong. I used to just do it. I'm not even questioning this stuff anymore. Now, I'm, now I started going to church and I'm questioning this stuff. Okay, so the battle begins. It's a battle for the heart. The battle for the heart. What has captivated my heart? Is it Jesus Christ or is it the sin that I want to hang on to? Do I compartmentalize the two? Do I separate them? Do I keep them different? Or do I let Christ come into both and eradicate that sin from my life? And then my lifestyle starts to change. Now that I have a changed mind and my heart's begin to change, naturally it's going to show in my lifestyle. And if you ever say, have somebody say to you, I'll believe it when I see it, it's because you've told them out of a lying tongue too many times that you're going to change. And it's simply not true. And the process has to trickle down from God's word into your mind, into your heart, even better if it wells up into your heart and changes your mind. Because whoever has captivates the heart has captivated you. Think about this. I'll close with this. Thinking about a dating couple. Someone is dating someone else and you're walking along with them. Okay? When does that person have you? Is it when they've entered into your mind every day? No. It's when you would do whatever it takes to make that person happy, to do whatever it takes to get their attention, to, to know them. It's when their heart has changed. Your heart has changed for them. And what I always say in marriage counseling and dating, well, we're going to be talking about it fall retreat, is when the heart is given away, the body is soon to follow. Okay? That's why you don't give the heart away until maybe you're engaged because you can only be engaged for about three months before the body's going to soon to follow, right? So guard your heart. The heart wants what the heart wants. You've heard that? That's a true statement, but that's not necessarily a good thing, is it? We use that as an excuse. Well, the heart wants what the heart wants. That's a lie, right? The mind can battle the heart, but it can only do it for a time. And if you don't change anything in your lifestyle, you'll, the mind will lose the heart every time, okay? Because we remember God calls us from his mystery to be unified as believers, to serve like Jesus did, to become full and complete. Amen? Let's pray.
Elders, you want to come forward? I'd appreciate that. And PJ, we can shut the video off before you come up too. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We thank you that you are watching over us. You're guiding us in your ways. You're directing us into a relationship with you. You're holy. You're just. You're allowing us to be pleasing in your sight. Lord, we pray that we'd be able to surrender to you and guide us and direct us in your ways.